Today's episode is brought to you by the American Society of Magical Negroes, a fresh satirical comedy about a secret society of magical black people starring Justice Smith, David Allen Greer, Ann Lee Bogan, and Nicole Byer. As an official selection of Sundance 2024, the American Society of Magical Negroes has been heralded by critics as an uproariously sharp-edged satire and a must-see. Now playing only in theaters. Visit the American Society of Magical Negroes film.com to get tickets now. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. This is Howler Back Now with me, Holland Roden, and iHeartRadio Podcast. Hey, everyone. We recorded this episode right before we started shooting the Teen Wolf movie. So technically, my first guest was Jeff Davis. We wanted to go ahead and air this right before the movie's premiering in a couple weeks. I wanted to get his thoughts before we uh, jump back into this world. So we have none other than the creator himself of Teen Wolf, Jeff Davis. That was perfect. <laughs> You're so good at that. Hi, Jeff. No, that was my first podcast intro ever. <laughs> Thank you for coming. My pleasure. Nice this to see you. This is crazy. Again. I haven't seen you in... Two years. Has it been two years? No, I saw you with Colton. Remember That's when right. I came to his That's house right. with the dog? That's right. Yes. <laughs> uh, well, thank you for letting us do a Team Wolf podcast under, under your eye. And thank you for coming on. Should we tell people where we're recording this? I think we shall. We are actually in the stages where we shot Team Wolf. It's pretty amazing. We're sitting in a bunch of uh, vacant cubicles. It looks like World War Z. <laughs> <laughs> it does. <laughs> and there's like random couches everywhere and stuff on the floor. And it's, uh, it's, it's a really glamorous setting. <laughs> We're in the warehouse world of Chatsworth, but through those doors are all of the Teen Wolf sets. Oh, really? Yes. This is why I wish we were still recording standing. this podcast, mm -hmm. like on a video, <laughs> then it would be a podcast. Uh, it's been four years since the show wrapped up. Wow. That's a long time. Do you have any thoughts about that? Well, for me, I've been locked in development on pilots and new shows. So it, God, it hasn't, it doesn't seem like that long, right? but I guess it is a while. It doesn't um, seem like that long. It, it probably feels maybe about two years for me, not four. Yeah. Time We've all perception. been pretty busy. There was this pandemic. Mm -hmm. There's that. Yeah, <laughs> that sort of took our attention away for a while. Um, but but yeah, when when uh, when Paramount Plus and uh, MTV Entertainment Studios first said, I think we might be able to do a Teen Wolf movie. Would you be interested? I mm -hmm. said, oh my God, we're doing it now? I thought this was going to be 10 years from now. If they're going to do it now, all right, I guess some decisions need to be made. <laughs> <laughs> I, I agree. I thought that I first, I didn't, honestly, I didn't think there would ever be anything round two. I didn't think there'd be another show. I didn't think there would be a pickup of the original show. And I didn't know if there'd be a movie. And so when it did come up, I was, I was really shocked that it was happening this soon. I was too, mostly because the big issue with it was uh, whether or not MTV Entertainment Studios and MGM could make a deal. Mm -hmm. um, I've had a lot of people asking me, is there going to be a season seven? And what they don't know is that MGM actually wanted many more seasons of the show. There was a point where we were talking about season seven, eight, nine, ten. 10. Uh, I was in the meeting and my face melted off my skull as they said that. We'll get into that of, of why that could be. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, they had plans um, because MGM was doing really well. Um, MTV Entertainment Studios, like every other streamer out there, um, uh, every other uh, studio and streamer, I should say, they want to own their material. 
Mm-hmm. And so that's the big issue with uh, doing a deal with MGM. Um, who gets the rights to what territory? Who gets the rights to air it for this amount of time? So it was a monster of a deal that was pushed forward mostly entirely, I would say, because of the fans. Because they kept screaming at Viacom CBS, uh, at people like Chris McCarthy. They wanted Teen Wolf and they let them know. So you really do think this is a fan-driven comeback? Yes. Actually, uh, to be honest, um, Chris McCarthy and I uh, sat down for dinner a while back. And I did say to him, I was like... Chris McCarthy is the... The head of uh, MTV Entertainment Studios. He's one of the top people Mm -hmm. at Viacom CBS right now. Mm -hmm. we actually sat down to dinner in New York um, and I said to him, why don't you guys just try to get Teen Wolf again? And he said, well, we really need to, as a company, own the IP. Mm-hmm. And to be honest, MGM is pretty tough to negotiate with. But we, we both talked about how we both get direct messages on Instagram and on any other social media and how constantly at MTV, it doesn't matter what... What MTV does, right? It could be the VMAs. It could be uh, an episode of Ridiculousness. Every single post or every single mention of an MTV show, there is someone on there saying, where's Teen Wolf? (laughs) Where's season seven of Teen Wolf? They're they're astounded by it. Uh, So the desire for it is out there, which is great. It's nice to know, like... We were never a ratings hit. Mm -hmm. We were never a smash success. We were the little engine that could. Yeah, we were never Game of Thrones. But... Our, pa- our fans were passionate and people did watch. They watched in their own way, on their own time, um, which did not help with our commercial ratings. But <laughs> we're happy that you found yeah. the show. And, and it's, it's the fans that kept it going. Yeah. And, and I, I'll say from my side that, uh, you know, I'll go to conventions and press events where they want to talk to the actor because that's the face mm-hmm. they see of this, this brand. I get recognized. I was, that's, that's on my list, Jeff. We're, we're getting all the questions. <laughs> I mean, it, you know, it's, yeah, I, I, I'm not shocked that you don't. Yeah. Uh, I'm not shocked that you do, I should say. Yes. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, they, they think that the actor has more power than we do. And, you know, happened with Veronica Mars. And now I'm so happy to say that it's happening with Teen Wolf. Um, it's a source of pride and nostalgia and identity yes. in a lot of ways for, for myself, at least. I grew up on this show in my 20s. And I feel like I had to leave the, the nest eventually um, when, when the show did end. It was at the beginning of my 30s. And seven so, years of my life. <laughs> seven, it was longer than that, though, because we, we auditioned in 2009. Yes. And it went off the air. When did it go in off? In 2017. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So it was, it was like, like eight, eight nine, nine years. Half, nine years. It was about yeah, there was a quite, a, quite a bit of time between shooting the pilot and getting picked up to series. Mm-hmm. And that actually had to do with the rights. After we shot the pilot, there was a question of whether we actually did have the rights to use the name Teen Wolf. How? um, There was some sort of legal uh, disagreement with MGM at that point. And we were sitting there saying, do we need to come up with a new title? It it does kind of make you wonder how much the fans really know about this stuff. Because they hit me up and and they'll say on an Instagram message, why are you too afraid to do season seven? So this is, this is, you're hearing it here now, is that... You know, I'm the actor saying I only have so much power, guys. And now I have the creator sitting here saying I only have so much power, guys. I don't have any power. <laughs> you don't feel like you have any power. <laughs> they came to me and said, hey, we're doing a T-Wolf movie. Do you want to write? Do you want to write it or do you want to oversee it? And for a minute there, I thought about, well, I've got these other two TV shows going. Mm-hmm. Um, do I really want to jump back into that world? Uh, do I have ideas? And the I the thought of someone else sitting down to write the Teen Wolf movie, I couldn't handle it. They were it cheating. Like, they were cheating with your boyfriend. You yeah, could, you couldn't do it. Impossible. Yeah, I said, of course I'll write it. I'll write it for free. Oh. <laughs> so, um, and once I did start coming up with ideas, you find yourself. After four years, I was ready to jump back in and say, "Okay, where's Scott? Where's Lydia? Where's Malia? Where are all these characters?" Oh, I get tingles. It's so exciting. Yeah. What would be interesting? What would be a great new story to tell? And and we're we're older, but not that much older. And so I'm going to be interested to see where you put us in the story as like young adults, essentially, or like yes. just coming out of college or who went to college. And yeah, um, where are you now? Yeah. Walking <laughs> off into that sunset. Where Instead of where's the cast now, where are the characters of Teen Wolf now? Mm. And that this movie will answer that question. Well, I'm really excited. I, uh, I was honored as he as, as you know, Jeff, to be a part of it. Um, so I want to take it back to your childhood. 
wow, really? A little bit. I might have to invite my therapist to this. <laughs> because I, as you know, uh, love writers and I wish I was a writer. And I got into acting because I love storytelling. And truth be told, I don't, I'm not really aesthetically comfortable, which I'm sure Jeff probably picked up on just slightly through the season. Um, you know, I, I am just a bit self-conscious and I would have preferred to have been a writer, um, but I did not have the brain for it. So I'm fascinated by writer's brains. I don't know why writers don't have all the power. It depends on the medium of which is being told. You know, sometimes they have, they, they, I would say they have more power in TV than they do in movies. Absolutely. Um, and so the power, you know, if you want to write guys, head towards episodic. Do not, do not go the feature route. Um, if you want to write and not be rewritten. And not have your baby taken away from you and then not even be invited to the premiere. <laughs> Go write TV. Well, yes. TV is where um, writers become showrunners mm -hmm. and they hire the director. Uh, in features, the director comes on and nobody wants to hear from the writer again. It's who is the director's writer that will rewrite the script mm. so that they can be happy with what they're putting on screen. And that's fascinated me because, you know, it's, it's like, that's your entire story. Those words are everything that get built upon every other department built on those words. Yes. So it just, it fascinates me uh, how writers are handled in, in the entertainment industry, um, at least in the United States. And you were born in Connecticut. I was. We've done some, we've done some um, digging recon on you. Yeah. It's a Milford, <laughs> Connecticut. What, what brought your family to Connecticut? Um, God, I am not entirely sure. I think, uh, well, my father went to Yale uh, for college. I and didn't know uh, this. yes, he was in New Haven. And I think they just settled there out of uh, necessity uh, when I and my brothers were born. But um, so you were in a college town? No, we were in Milford, Milford which is about not... five minutes outside of New Haven. Okay. So basically a very ordinary suburb milford is also known for being on the on the coast but we never went to the beach it wasn't really much of a beach to go to okay um but uh yeah i grew up in connecticut um we had family in new york so we'd go to thanksgivings in new york um, did you go to plays in new york or musicals like was your family no into the arts you know what i would i would make my stepfather drive me to new york so i could go to the comic book store really <laughs> yeah. at what age was this uh, probably 13 or 14. My stepfather came in around 13. Yeah. And where did comic books hit you in your life? Like what, what was the inspiration of, I want to go to New York and, and go to a comic book store? Oh, very early. And the, the comic book store in New York was very specific too. It was a place called Forbidden Planet. There are actually two of them in New York. And the large one was really famous and well-known among comic book people. Still open? Um, you know, I don't know. I really hope they survived, but I hope we do the, the Teen Wolf movie premiere at Forbidden Planet. <laughs> that would be amazing. How cool would that yeah. be? Um, but yeah, I grew up on comics. I actually thought I wanted to be a comic book artist for a long time. I would spend hours and hours a day uh, drawing in my basement. You've seen some of my drawings. I have. Uh, you know, there's there's a, a little Easter egg, guys, that uh, <laughs> Jeff drew the, 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 the Nemeton, right? Uh, yes. The picture that you had of the roots, mm -hmm. the root seller, I drew mm -hmm. that. Um, I also, I eventually designed the beast for the CGI guys. I have a drawing oh, of that. that. I did a lot of drawings of Tyler and the teen wolf werewolf look uh, early on. But um, So you started as a, like a, a visual artist yeah. and then words translated later. Yeah. And it the way it happened was I had been years and years drawing as a kid. And I when I was a teenager, I thought to myself, well, if I really want to get into the comic book industry... Um, I have to put together panels of, uh, an actual comic book. And so I said to myself, well, I have to write a comic book. How old are you? 12? I think I was 15? like 12 or 13. Okay. Yeah. 12, 13. So young. Yeah. So I started putting together my own comic book, which was terrible. Um, do you and still then, have this? Oh, it may be buried somewhere in a box. I, I don't, I'm one of those do. people who don't keep anything. Though. Shocking Jeff. <laughs> um, so, so you put together this comic book. Yeah. And that was when I started writing and, I, uh, in high school, we had, um, I had a creative writing class and I was supposed to write short stories for it. And I just got into writing and I found my passions switching from, uh, drawing and visual medium to, uh, writing and, and figuring out prose and words and thinking I would, thinking at first I was going to be a novelist, mm. but writing long, short stories. Uh, I actually did write a novel in high school. Um, what was it about? What was the log line? <laughs> it was... Oh God, it was about a 
it was a murder mystery. And it was about this, it's a terrible story, but it's about this female cop who is uh, investigating a serial killing. I was big into serial killers. Okay. As we can talk about later when, because uh, I eventually created the show Criminal Minds. Mm-hmm. Um, but way from, way back then, when I was a teenager, like 13, 14, I was into serial killers, um, which is a little creepy. But uh, it's about this female cop who's investigating this serial murder. And what she discovers is that it's not actually a serial murder. It's a, a husband murdered his wife. But in order to cover up the fact that who's the first person they ask, they look at first, it's the husband. He kills three other women to make it look like part of a serial murder. Um, Collateral murders. It was like a clever idea. It was my attempt at doing a uh, like sort of Agatha Christie, Mary Higgins Clark style type. Yeah, like a Silence of the Lambs type mystery. But I I finished it. I sat there and I wrote a novel and I it was agony to get through. And then I picked up a book on screenwriting. I think the first book I picked up was uh, William Goldman's uh, Adventures in the Screen Trade. Um, and that just inspired me. And I thought, okay, well, I'm going to try writing a screenplay next. And by the time I had gotten to college, I had written, uh, yes, I'd written about, um, got 20 screenplays. Wow. Yeah. I was, did you get into Vassar based off of what, what major and and did you submit any of those screenplays? They had a film major, but you really get in there because it's a liberal arts college and you just have to have good grades and, and do well on a written essay or something. So you didn't submit any of your pieces to get in? No. Of the no. screenplays? Okay. I did have to do that for USC where mm. I uh, graduated from grad school. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I got into Vassar and um, I decided I wanted to be around – in the middle of high school, I decided around, I wanted to be a director. Um, that was after um, – I sort of have a Quentin Tarantino-like story where I worked in a video store uh, in my teen years and – so many Easter eggs of Teen Wolf in yeah. this. Between the video store <laughs> the video Jackson. Store in, in, yes. season, in season one, yeah. And uh, at that store, you were we uh, the workers were able to take uh, a bunch of videos home. Uh, we couldn't take new releases, but we could take everything, anything else. Hmm. Uh, so I would take Hitchcock movies. I would take westerns. I would take anything I was interested in. I found myself gravitating towards suspense and horror. And I just that was where I got my first real movie education. And then hmm. I decided, okay, I'm going to go to college and I'm going to take every movie class I could take, every film class, and then eventually ended up at USC uh, for grad school. And from there, it was just writing, writing, writing constantly, setting aside the desire to be a director in favor of getting actual scripts written, hmm. and then slowly coming back to directing in my career. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake I made the night before, And then I go crush a workout in the body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my offer to you. The next 500 people who go to body.com will get 65% off a full year of access to over 120 programs. 65% because I want you to start now and see how fast the pounds come off and the muscles start popping. And if they don't, Hey, you get your money back. Just go to body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. And let's own the morning together and get healthy and fit. The following ad is sponsored by Pets Best Insurance Services. Pets come into our lives in many ways. Shelters, breeders, or unexpected encounters. But no matter how you found your pet, they become our perfect match. Unfortunately, finding the right pet insurance plan can be hard. That's where Pets Best comes in. With a little information about you and your pet, Pets Best will recommend a plan that meets your needs and budget. Visit PetsBest.com to learn more today. Your perfect pet deserves the perfect coverage. PetsBest.com. 
Now, did you feel that you were better at writing or you felt it was more your ticket into the business versus just going straight for the directing spots? I definitely knew that I didn't have the patience for cinematography. Mm. And so that was that's one of the issues with student films. You're not just the director and writer. You're also the cinematographer. Uh, so you better have sort of a love for images. And I remember being at, uh, at USC because I started out in the directing program. And there was this one kid there who was just – his stuff was beautiful. <laughs> and and. I realized I don't know how to do this and my short films are going to continue to look bad. They're going to be these crappy short five minute short films on eight millimeter um, and then eventually video. And I'm going to leave grad school with a bunch of clever little short films that don't look very good when what you really need when you leave film school is a screenplay. Mm -hmm. And I didn't have time to write a screenplay while I was in directing class. Um, because putting together those short films take every. But that's minute smart. Of it was logistical. You're like, I yeah. want, I want a finished piece so that's going to take me into yeah. the professional market, and this is how I'm going to get there. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the one thing that happens with directors when they leave uh, film school. They've got some good little short films that look cool. Um, hopefully, they have some sort of story, but they don't have a screenplay, mm. and they have to wait or they have to find somehow find a screenplay that they can attach themselves to in order to make it in the business. Um, whereas when you're a writer, you always have the blank page. It's up to you whether or not you're going to move forward. Yeah. yeah. That's why I wanted to, to be part of that world from the get go. Mm -hmm. And, uh, the actor surely does not have control, but, um, that's what I was good at. You know, I, um, I always commended you because you were so young and I am actually only learning in this conversation, how truly focused you were from such a young age. Do you recognize how much of a blessing that was for you? Did you ever feel lost? But if you didn't feel lost, did you feel like, oh, I'm lucky. I know what I want to do and I'm focused and I have my path. I have what yes. satisfies me. It's a double-edged sword because at one point you think you're not like uh, your friends who some are still figuring out what they want to do by the time they're 30. Mm -hmm. I knew exactly what I wanted to do. I think I was 15 where I said, yes, film is for me. This is what I want to do. I want to be a director, write my own screenplays. I want to be James Cameron. I want to be Steven Spielberg. I want to be all this. And so, yes, it's a relief to know exactly what you want to do. But underneath that is the fear. Nobody's going to ever let me do it or I'm never going to succeed. But when you're starting that early, you have so much hope. Yes, you do. You know, and you have, if you're, if you're honing your talent every day, like you've said to other writers, write every single day. That's mm -hmm. how I got better. Yeah. Um, I mean, do you feel like you did get a lot better? Like, do you feel like you didn't start at an amazing point or did you have that sort of natural talent? I did at first what every artist does to learn. I copied. So I had, uh, influences. I had, um, all the authors I was reading, Dean Koontz, Stephen mm -hmm. King, um, Michael Crichton, I had devoured all of those books. So the first time I sat down to write a, a short story, it was just a copy. It was- if they start with an anecdote, I'll start with an anecdote. Yeah, or, it's, you know. it's, yeah I, always, I knew I wanted it to have a twist ending. I knew mm -hmm. I wanted it to have suspense. So I learned from them. Um, it's the same with a musician, same with artists. I learned to draw by copying Marvel artists. Uh, so what I did eventually was you, you craft your own style, you craft your own voice, um, and it starts to come together and it becomes you instead of just a carbon copy of, of other writers, hopefully. Um, how long would you say that process took? <laughs> I still Years? think it's, it's an ongoing process. <laughs> okay. That's an answer though. <laughs> I like that. It's not, that's, it is a murky answer. But there was always one thing I remember reading an interview and this stuck with me. James Cameron was asked about aliens. Uh, inspired him to write it. And he said uh, something along the lines of, it's not an exact quote. He said, I wrote exactly the movie I wanted to see when I was a 13 year old. Mm. And well, that's why Team Wolf's a hit. <laughs> yeah. You write what you want to see. Yeah. And if you write the movie that you want to see instead of the movie you think people are going to pay money for, mm -hmm. you're always going to succeed more the first way. Makes sense. Yeah. Whenever you chase the money, it never comes. Mm hmm. Unless you want to be a banker. And then I would say to writers and artists and actors, go be a banker. If you really want to make money, there are much easier ways to much make money. Much easier. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. And, you know, there is a – I find there's like an addiction to the business mm -hmm. that even when things aren't going your way, there is just a feeding here that we want to come back for more. We're still hungry for more. Um, well, there's another saying 
everyone comes to Hollywood looking for parents to love them. <laughs> so we're not just looking for the money. We're looking for adulation, Absolutely. adoration, and people to say, we love you. Mm -hmm. Not we like you. We love you. Do you feel like you got that reception on Teen Wolf? <laughs> I would say, <laughs> I'd say more often than not, people have said, said, we hate you. But that's an emotion. I feel like the it fact is. that they, they are engaged and they are that passionate about mm -hmm. what you've done with these characters. Yeah. I've gotten so much goodwill and good feeling off of this show. That's the only reason I would come back because I'm not coming back to write it because they offered me a ton of money to do it. Um, Teen Wolf is never going to be a, we're throwing a ton of money at this kind of project. For um, the actors, for the yeah. creator. I mean, <laughs> Colin's like, don't I know it? Do we all know it? I mean, this was a show that I think it's a great place on this podcast to mm -hmm. briefly talk about is that we were on a network that was not the CW. Yeah. And we were all cable. So why weren't we all making the same amount of money as Pretty Little Liars or Vampire Diaries? And we didn't do the ratings. We didn't do the ratings because they didn't do the marketing. They not only didn't do the marketing, but and I can talk about this now because all the people who put us on at MTV back then are no longer there. <laughs> <laughs> they put us on uh, at 10 p.m. on Monday night where Freeform already owned that night from 8 to 10 p.m. Mm. So it was the secret life of the American teenager, I oh, think. Yes, and I then Pretty Little Liars. And we were essentially asking that very same audience to stay on their couch and watch a third hour of television because when we they were had there homework, when they had to go to bed or they had to go to sleep. Yeah. yeah. We, we actually did heard from the research that a lot of people were watching it the next day because they had just had to go to sleep. Mm -hmm. So you're not going to get the C3 ratings that you want. And what are C3 ratings? C3 ratings. Those are the commercial ratings. Okay. Um, because it's actually uh, a show's success does not depend on how many people watch the show. It depends on how many people watch the commercials. Wow. That is the rating that the advertisers used to look at. It's a completely different world now with streaming, mm -hmm. but we were not getting enough eyes on advertisers for MTV to justify paying more money for marketing, more money for the budget. We were doing it as best we could on a network where the top show was Teen Jersey Mom too. Shore and Jersey well. Shore. Jersey Shore yeah. and Teen Mom. Yeah. And, and we were working with executives that just didn't have a scripted mentality. Yeah. And there's also all the other networks um, use their pre-existing shows to launch mm -hmm. new shows. We never had that. We were the marquee show. Yeah. We at, there was nothing on but repeats before us when we came on. I remember MTV being ecstatic about Awkward's success, the, my friend Lauren's show, mm -hmm. which was fantastic. Yes. And it deserved every success it had. And they said, we can't, we, they, they, they came to me and were like, Awkward does such great numbers and it's amazing. And it's even at, even at 11 o'clock or, or like 1030 at night, it's doing these numbers. And I would say to them, yeah, because it's on right after Teen Mom too. Right. <laughs> right. So you've got a huge audience already on your channel and all they have to do is not change the channel. Yes, it was a great show, but time slots do matter. Time slots matter. Marketing matters. At least they matters. mattered back then. Absolutely. Nowadays, if uh, a network, if someone's talking about time slots, all they're really talking about are sports. Mm -hmm. yeah, yeah. A lot's changed. I mean, there was the birth of social media during Teen Wolf mm -hmm. um, and the birth of streamers, uh, sort of a heightened level during yeah. uh, almost a post Teen Wolf mm -hmm. at this point. So we are in a completely different market uh, with this Teen Wolf movie where that could be shopped at and, and aired on. Yeah. And you have to ask the question, if the show had been on the CW, mm -hmm. would it have done a lot better? I tend to think it would have. I, I, the one thing I love about our show, though, is that we never took ourselves too seriously. I love yeah. that you played in that vein, that mm -hmm. we always were very self-aware of what we were. And I, yeah. I remember watching Stranger Things. And the one regret I have of Teen Wolf is... We had these odes, like how it was lit, Styles' Jeep, the, mm -hmm. the buddy comedy of the two of them together felt so John Hughesian to me and mm -hmm. so 1980s. Well, hell, we should have just had a little bit of a, you know, magic eight ball. We should have just made it in the 80s. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, and then that nostalgia, you know, would have been there for, for that demographic because watching Stranger Things and there was the, the monster in the wall and when I know writers walking down the hallway, I'm thinking, guys, this has huge ratings. This is Teen Wolf. Where were the ratings for Teen Wolf? Yeah. Well, we didn't have the marketing and we didn't have, uh, I mean. Well, there's another reason not to do it in the 80s, hmm. which is 
even if it's the 80s, you're still doing a period piece. So it's much more expensive. Much more expensive. And we were – what can you can we talk about budgets? Like what were we in episode? I don't know if I can talk about it. Okay. But we were so we could, far below. I mean the show budgets these days are incredible. Uh, they're basically made for movies. movie budgets. Mm-hmm. Um, something like Marvel TV show, um, it just blows my mind how many different locations they have, how they're shooting in the middle of New York and – uh, just the money and the amount of crew and what it takes to do something like that. Uh, we were well, well below what most other shows were. We were and how good we looked yeah. for that price range is incredible. Yeah. Well, there's a difference too, is like Pretty Little Liars, let's say, didn't have that much more money than us, right? They maybe had like a million more an episode. A few more stunts. Yeah. But what they had was uh, they were a soap opera that shot everything in a very standard way. Mm-hmm. Master, close up, close up, two shot, and they were done. We were trying to make it look like a movie. Every and you week. did every yeah. time. I mean, we between had, Russell McCoy. Yeah. We had action, we had special effects, we had stunts, mm-hmm. we had car chases. Um, and that stuff is expensive. And most of all, it's time consuming. So our shoots, whereas other shows could shoot uh, in seven days, we actually had to stretch ours to about eight or even 10 days. And then overlap episodes. So we block schedule exactly yeah. to be able to afford that. And yeah. I'll, I'll never forget, you know, the kinds of, um, cranes coming in were not normal for our budget and not normal for a TV show. No, not at all. A crane shot on a small cable show. It's insane, but we, we made it work. The way we made it work was by sacrificing certain things. Yes. We weren't paid as well. As and we CW all wore show. multiple hats. I mean, <laughs> when you only have two, mainly two series directors. Yeah. So for anybody that's curious, you, there's multiple directors, like almost, you know, there's 12 episodes. There'll probably be eight directors in that season uh, directing. And we had two, two with occasional guests. We we started out with um, three different directors on the first season. Oh, yeah. There was Toby Wilkins. Oh, Toby Wilkins. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There yeah, was yeah. Uh, Russell and then there was Tim. But our main two directors were Russell and Tim. And we would try to we try to give each of them uh, as many episodes as possible. But we had great directors like Jen Lynch come in. Mm-hmm. We had um, uh, numerous other names. Uh, Tyler Posey got to direct an episode. Our, Didn't you direct our, an episode? No, I never, never directed did. an episode. I've directed pieces here okay. and there. I directed half of one episode. Whenever I didn't like a scene, I would say, all right, I'll, I'll just shoot it myself. <laughs> <laughs> and then Russell, who's usually the director, is always on camera. He, he loved to grab that yeah. camera and get shots. Uh, there was so much to do on the show that, um, oh, and Christian Taylor directed and directed some great episodes episodes. for us. Um, Rob, our VFX guy Mm -hmm. directed two episodes. So we had a lot of great guest directors, but our two main people, yes, were Russell and Tim who really, Russell created the look of the show and Tim was just an absolute workhorse and so dedicated to the show and always trying to make things look new and different. And he was one of the people who kept us on schedule. Mm-hmm. I mean, Tim's was there doing 90 setups a day, whereas Jeez. most shows don't get past 60 or even 50, some even less. Yeah. So if you guys want to know, like, why do you like Teen Wolf so much? What is the recipe? Like this, these are the ingredients. This is why you guys like Teen Wolf. And this is why I wanted to do a podcast really breaking down. Uh, you know, we can maybe do this in pieces at a convention, but Jeff Davis certainly, you know, wouldn't be there. So it's like, this is the place that we get to talk about this. And about uh, how hard it was to produce this yeah. show. And when somebody says, it's always interesting to me when, when a fan calls us out on um, online, on Twitter or something or Instagram of a bad effect shot. And I sit there and think, trust me, we know. <laughs> <laughs> We're aware, guys. We are very aware. First of all, we probably tried to darken the shot up in color correction so it didn't look so bad. Second of all, we were begging the uh, VFX company, can't you do it a little better? And the VFX company would tell us, we need to, that thing needs to render. We need 48 hours for the mm-hmm. computer just to catch up and saying, we need to deliver Sunday night. And finally starting saying to ourselves, all right, it's fine. We'll live with it. If you were 12 today or 15 today, do you feel like you would have watched Teen Wolf and had uh, a critique for yourself? I wonder. It's a very meta question, but because um, you're a nerd. <laughs> Every movie or show out there has bad VFX shots. I don't care what the budget is. I saw a TV show the other day that was a Marvel show that had one of the worst ADR 
moments I've ever seen where it's so clear you are the actor is so clearly not moving their mouth but they threw an ADR line in anyway (laughs) so and this is a show that probably has a budget of 15 to 20 million an episode so it really doesn't matter there will be bad shots everywhere um, unless the director is someone like Denis Villeneuve who my god every shot in Dune was perfectly crafted you loved it yeah oh it was like genius it was a feast for the eyes have you read the book of course yeah Yeah. the book is one of my favorite books of all time actually um it's hard it's hard when you're up against the budget and not only against the budget but against time it's hard so to all those fans who are like this effect shot sucked trust me we know Mm -hmm. (laughs) and we wish we could go back and redo it i'm and not only me but the vfx guy who did it is probably a thing god if i just had another day Right. That's the saying of every artist. I mean, as an actor, you're like, oh, if I just had one more take or Mm -hmm. if I just had one more day to write or if I had, you know, a little bit more budget to write these five pages I want to write. Art is never finished. It's abandoned. That's a good quote. (laughs) Art is. We have to have like a a team of podcast uh, Hallerback quote. Art is never finished. It's abandoned. Yes. That's a good one. I think that should go on the list. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself. But we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Hey guys, LeVar Arrington here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer. Making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck. Like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design. The Tundra combines raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. And with the available iForce Max Hybrid powertrain, you can take electrified horsepower farther than ever before or check out the fully redesigned tacoma delivering trail dominating power and captivating style the new tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true and with new available tech this legendary truck is getting even better and when you buy a toyota truck you buy toyota dependability meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future so visit your local toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals when you visit Visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. Now, I want to take it back. You created Criminal Minds, then Teen Wolf. What was that process like, like from USC to Criminal Minds to Teen Wolf? Was there, were there jobs in between that you hated? I was an IT administrator. That's I was a, a very fancy side hustle. Explain this. I was a computer guy. Okay. So I was the guy, I worked for an agency for a while talent agency. And I was the guy, agents would come to my office and they'd be furious. The server's down. I'd get up and I'd say, the server's not down. Let me like take a look at the computer. Full stop. (laughs) You're you're a drawer, you're a writer. And then where the (laughs) hell did you learn computer skills? I loved computers. Um, But back then, so I was a Mac computer guy. Okay. And back then the number one fix for a Mac was unplug it and plug it back in. (laughs) (laughs) So there wasn't that much to do, but I would be the guy who'd come over to the agent's computer and tap really fast on the, on the keyboard Uh and 
and I'd say, all right, it's fixed. And they'd look at me like <laughs> I was a magician and they'd kind of hate me at the same time. But it was a job that paid the bills. And I did IT work. Um, what ages? I, uh, I was doing it from about 23 to 28 or 27. Wow. So, so a while. Yeah, 20, 23 to 27. And were you writing in your free time? Yes. There was a time where I worked at the Fox studio where I would <laughs> worked in a basement uh, with all the other IT guys. We had no windows, barely any light. Um, and I would take my notebook and I would go sit out at the studio cafe outside and I'd write down ideas. That had to be in inspiring. That, like you, I, I find it interesting. You were an IT guy at a studio. Mm-hmm. You know, you you found ways to be inspired and be around what you want to be a part of. It's hard because you're around it and it's inspiring. But you're not a part but, of it. But you're not a part of it. Yeah, exactly. You're like, you're still sort of outside the gate looking in and saying, when, when am I going to get my chance? And I remember a day when uh, two friends of mine who had gotten the job to rewrite the script for X-Men 2. They were there with the director and they came walking by as I was writing in my notebook. And one of them reached out and said, hey, what's that? And I was like, nothing, nothing. Don't look at this. <laughs> so you didn't have the confidence back then. No, no. You really were terrible. like a shy IT guy. Yeah. And I, I grabbed my notes for my little screenplay and watched them go off to their meeting for X-Men 2. Did you just, did your heart just like fall into your stomach? Like what was their feeling? Do you remember that emotion? Yeah. Well, I had the typical frustration that any writer or actor comes out here is going to be, when is my time? And I eventually, I mean, that's a little bit of a narcissistic thing today to, to say, but, but it's uh, true, but it's true. We all You've get very sacrificed focused. so much. And it's yeah. so you, is it worth it for your life? Yeah. So what I would actually say to myself was I came up with a little mantra when okay. I start to get anxious about it and be like, Oh God, I haven't sold a screenplay yet. I haven't got a movie made. I'm I would just say to myself, you have all the time in the world. Mm. And um, I gave myself actually until 30 to sell a screenplay. Which I is so young, by the way. Yeah. I, I was a little hard on myself. Yeah. So young. <laughs> but people get out of film school now and they think they're going to sell a screenplay at 23. We're not all J.J. Abrams, who I think got his first credit at 22 or something. I can't remember what it was. It might have been regarding Henry. Mm. But he was a working screenwriter right out of school. Normally. Yeah. Cause you're, I mean, I consider, I'll never forget when I saw you with Team Wolf and you had already gone through criminal minds. You were so young. You're a baby. You're yeah. like my age right now. <laughs> I love the, and, uh, the stories of me of like the transpo department saying the kid, the kid, I, the I called kid. you the medical student. Cause you always had a backpack <laughs> on and you always yes. looked like you were just going to your next medical class. <laughs> um, yeah. So, so, so 23 to 27, 28, you're, you're in it, you're writing, you're writing in your free time. You're at least on a studio lot but it's, it's hard to sort of be yeah. at the party, but you can't talk to anybody. Yeah. And, and at what point did, how did Criminal Minds come into your life? Or was there another project before that, that went kaput and then you got Criminal Minds? I had written a lot of screenplays and I had landed a manager and I'd gotten that script option for a paltry sum. They had, they paid me like $5,000 to do one polish on it. And then I bet you were like ecstatic though at that time. Oh yeah. I was like, oh my God, $5,000. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, what happened after that was I started to actually make money. I had sold a pitch to Paramount with uh, it was based on a book by Robert Silverberg. Mm -hmm. um, I was actually on the cover of Variety while still working in IT no. at Fox. Yeah. For, for this, this, this sale to Paramount? Yes. So, How did you get the cover of Variety? Uh, I think it was mostly because of William Friedkin, <laughs> but uh, the director of The Exorcist. Okay. So he had attached his name to it. Uh, the producers uh, had brought him in. So you, through the producers, you got that contact. Yeah. Okay. Um, you so, liked your story. Yeah. Some, uh, one producer had read a script of mine and said, hey, would you be interested in adapting this book? And then we pitched it around town and we pitched it to William Friedkin through uh, this company called Alphaville and they got it sold at And Paramount. you're in your 20s. Yeah. I think I was 26, 27. Um, Did you feel like that was going to be your, your, be your big break? There was no chance that like, how can this not work out? You do feel like that. Mm -hmm. And then you get heartbroken. <laughs> and then you say, I have all the time in the world, and then, yep. you know, mend my wounds. And the heart, the heartbreak continues happening mm -hmm. even when you've gotten TV shows on the air. The um, so, and that's one thing you have to learn about the business. But um, did you uh, start to write Criminal Minds or, or the next job during this process? Or did you wait for it to quote, quote, fail? And then start the night. Like, do you overlap? How did that work? Well, Criminal Minds, I had been writing out outlines to do a movie about 
serial killers and the behavioral analysis unit of the FBI. So what happened was I had lost the Paramount job that eventually just went away. I had another script where I was replaced by a writer. Mm -hmm. um, and then I had a pitch uh, with a big producer and a big director that failed. Uh, so I said to myself, well, I can't get anything made. I'm actually making money now, but I can't get anything made in movies. They have to make stuff in TV because there's a schedule. Maybe I'll try pitching this mo movie idea I have as a TV show instead. Logic. Logic yeah. always finds you. And that became Criminal Minds. Huh. So, um, how fast did the Criminal Minds project come together? Like, did you make a, a visual pitch deck or did you just write the first script? I had, I came up with the pitch. Um, it was actually quite different. Um, it was a serialized show first at first. Mm. And then, uh, when I hooked up with Mark Gordon and Deb Spera at the, at Mark Gordon's company, uh, they eventually told me, look, nobody's going to buy a serialized TV show. They don't make money off them. <laughs> so could you see this as a procedural? And I said, yes, uh, let me rethink it. And I said, okay, I'm going to base the pilot off of two real life serial killer stories and introduce the people of the behavioral analysis analysis unit and try to launch uh, basically the psychological version of CSI. And that's what we did. You truly did. <laughs> yeah. And, and did you ever see it going for 15 years? I don't think I saw it for that long, but I knew after the pilot, after having seen Mandy and the other actors in it, I knew we kind of had something pretty good and special and that I was really interested in the science of it myself. Uh, things like the homicidal triad, um, all the ways that they got into the mind of the serial killer, the psychology of it, um, these behavioral patterns that showed up again and again and again. Um, I don't know if you saw Mindhunter, but I just loved yeah, it. Yeah, Mindhunter I loved a great that show. show. Yes, that was based on a John Douglas book, which was mm -hmm. one of many uh, profiler books that I read. And I knew that if I could get all this cool, really information that happened in real life onto the screen, then there could be something there. So I had faith in it. You had faith in it. And then how long between Criminal Minds and Teen Wolf were there other jobs you pursued? Or oh, yeah. Yeah, there were many pilots. Uh, once you get a show up and running, you, they say you get to you, do phone calls. They, they say, we love this. Can we have three more? <laughs> so I did a deal with uh, ABC Studios. I wrote some more pilots. Um, and, and emotionally at this point, because I always like to hit on that point is, is uh, like, do you finally feel like you've, you've, you've arrived and you feel like you're more confident or you can make your bills? So you're maybe less stressed or do you feel like you're a part of the party? I don't know if anyone ever feels like they've truly made it mm. because once you get in the gates of Hollywood, it's a constant fight to stay in um, because you feel as though you could get dragged out at any time by security and the gates get locked again. Even after Criminal Minds? Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, I think any actor, writer, director feels like that. I mean, there's literally a term called director jail. Have what, you ever heard of that? No. What's director oh, jail? Oh, director jail is uh, when a director has several flops in a oh. row and can't get hired anymore. Right. You basically say they're in director jail. Right. Um, and it's up to them to do that small indie movie or the passion project that gets them out. And then they can go off and direct uh, the next Marvel movie. Right. Uh, but um, no, I felt uh, I felt comfortable in that I was making money, which was good because I could I could actually concentrate on completely what you on to. writing. Mm -hmm. um, but there were a lot of projects that I would have loved to see go forward. There was a pilot I had at ABC. There was a pilot that I had at the Sci-Fi Channel. Well, do you have a favorite of like how many pilots do you think like that didn't go forward for those aspiring pilot writers? Oh my gosh. I had a bunch. After selling Criminal Minds. <laughs> yeah. There's so many factors in getting a studio or network to say yes mm -hmm. um, that it can take a while. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview, Great Falls, offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity.
Can I give you a real incentive to lean into your decision to start working out and eating better? I'm Carl, co-founder of Body. That's B-O-D-I. And right now, if you sign up for a one-year subscription to Body, I want to make you an offer you can't refuse. I'll give you 65% off. Look, I know it's not easy to get fit and lose weight, especially if you're trying to figure it out by yourself, but we make it simple. Just follow a program for 20 to 30 minutes day by day and lose 5 to 10 pounds a month. We have over 120 programs that have been tested and proven to work, and almost 300,000 five-star reviews in the App Store to prove it. Body also has complete eating plans and thousands of healthy, delicious recipes. So stop guessing and start seeing results with Body, and I'll give you 65% off your annual membership right now so you save big on the app that CNN underscored named Best Fitness App. So don't wait. Sign up for a year of Body and save 65%. Just go to Body.com. That's Body with an I.com. Hey, Doug Gottlieb here to tell you the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making the now perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new Toyota truck, like a rugged half-ton Tundra. Workhorse by nature, powerhouse by design, the Tundra combines the raw capability with premium comfort and advanced tech to fuel your wildest adventures. With the available iForce Max hybrid powertrain, you can take electrifying horsepower further than ever before. Or... Check out the fully redesigned Tacoma, delivering trail-dominating power and captivating style. The new Tacoma was born to make your off-roading dreams come true. With new available tech, this legendary truck is getting even better. When you buy a Toyota truck, you buy Toyota dependability, meaning your truck will hold its value long into the future. So visit your local Toyota dealer and check out the amazing national sales event deals when you visit buyatoyota.com. Toyota, let's go places. How many pilot scripts would you say you're, you would write a year on average? Two at least. Okay. Yeah. Um, one of the projects that I really wish had moved forward was um, something I did uh, a couple of years ago, which was an adaptation of Strangers by Dean Koontz, um, mm. who was one of my favorite authors growing up as a kid. And uh, I got to meet him and become friends with him. And he's an amazing guy. And I had what I felt was such a good story, but it wasn't right for Fox at that time. Um, and did it come down to a political situation of why you couldn't take it to another network? I could take it to another network, but at that point, there's so much money against the project mm-hmm. that the network basically has to say, okay, if, if we took it to say Netflix, mm-hmm. Netflix says, okay, first of all, we don't own this. Second of all, we have to pay Fox a fee. Third of all, we have to pay uh, the production company on it a fee. So it, this project comes with all these fees and these attachments and this chain of title that they don't want to have to pay for unless it's starring Tom Hanks or something. Problem then, with IP. Problems with IP. Yeah. yeah. So that's the challenge with reselling some. But Interesting. Uh, at a certain point, I'll buy it back. I'll buy my script back. Uh, you basically give up your money and pay I it back. I hope you do. I hope you get then, to make that story. Yeah, I do too. It was a great story. Um, uh, what I learned from that was I really don't want to write network TV anymore, mm-hmm. which is why when the deal from Paramount Plus came from Viacom CBS, I said yes. I said, yeah, I don't want to write commercials. I don't want to write stuff that has to has to uh, guarantee a certain rating from right. commercials when I don't watch commercials myself. I don't have live TV. <laughs> no, very few of us do now. <laughs> There's I, no point. Yeah. And so, and so from those few years of writing those pilots that didn't go forward, at what point did Teen Wolf come about in your life? Did you find it and approach MGM or vice mm-hmm. versa? It was a meeting I had at uh, MTV. Um, So what had happened was uh, I was developing this pilot for the Sci-Fi Channel with Marty Edelstein and Michael Thorne. Michael Thorne, who is now these two people. Michael Thorne, who is now the president of Fox. Yes. And when Sci-Fi passed on it, uh, we really wanted to work together again because Michael and I had a great working relationship, and I loved Marty and. we said, okay, well, let's come up with something else to do. Mm. Uh, and I said, I meant, and they mentioned to me, they said, we hear you're going to have a meeting with MTV. We're probably going to be attached to a reboot of Teen Wolf. Would you be interested? <gasps> that's how it happened. Yeah. And I said, oh, that's interesting. I loved that movie as a kid. And Dude, where were you having this conversation? Like that's such an, that's such an origin conversation. It was just at their office. At their yeah. office. Yeah. And I said, oh yeah, I'll ask them about that. So I get into the meeting with MTV and they mentioned Team Wolf. And I say to them, 
So how do you guys see an adaptation of that happening? They're like, well, we just know that we want it to be about teenagers and werewolves. And I said, that's cool because if you look back at the original movie, it's not actually a werewolf movie. It's a basketball movie. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's a sports movie, just kind of like the karate kid where they have the big song at the end and it's all about winning a basketball game, not about werewolves at all. Mm-hmm. Um, and they liked that take. And well, what I said to them is, what if we do it more like The Lost Boys? which is actually scary, sexy, funny, suspenseful, and has a great twist ending. And they said, yes, let's do that. So initially they were just open to teenage boys, werewolves, and they, and they thought it could have been a comedy in their eyes. Oh, yeah. What, what happens when, you ha- when a studio has a piece of IP, they go out to writers and they say, come in with a take. And so the writer has to come in, usually with very little information, and say, this is how I would do the movie. And so when they said, yeah, we'd love to hear your take on it, on that, when I said, okay, what if it's like the Lost Boys? They said, yeah, go prepare a pitch. And so I had a little bit of information of of how they wanted to do it. So I went back and I thought to myself, okay, one of my favorite movies of all time, uh, favorite stories of all time is Stand By Me. This is when we go back to the fact that we're always copying other artists Mm -hmm. by Stephen King, right? So I thought, what if it's about a couple kids going into the woods to find a dead body? which is exactly how Stand By Me starts. And what if I take it from there? And what if the body they find is actually half of a body? And what if the thing that killed it was a werewolf? And what if one of the boys gets bitten by a werewolf? And I just took it from there. How um, fast did you come up with that that thing in your mind? Were you, were you like walking out of the offices and driving home? Or was this a couple months later? Uh, you know what I mean? Like wh- I don't remember, but I do know the pitch came very quickly to me. It did. I knew that I wanted it to be um, a story about two best friends in high school. I, would, I wanted it to be about the friendship that I never had in high school. Mm. Um, I knew from early on, I wanted Tyler Posey's character, Scott, to be a werewolf and the girl he falls in love with to be the daughter of a werewolf hunter. It's so good. I <laughs> loved that. And I always thought that um, that was actually taken from like real mythology that you're like, Ar- you know, the last name of Argent, which no, means silver. <laughs> and it was just, you know, Jeff Davis mythology. It's yes. great. Yeah, it I'm sitting great. there thinking I'm so clever. Like, <laughs> I like it. It's not I silver it. that kills the werewolf. It's the family silver, Argentum mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. Argent. Yeah. And when you wrote the pilot, did you have that tingly feeling like the stranger's like criminal minds that you, once you saw, you know, Manny on screen, at what point did you feel like you had something? And then at what point did that grow for you? There were a couple different points. Um, when I met Russell. How did you guys meet? How did you guys hook up? It was just a director meeting. Like from your agent? Yeah. From uh, his agent, put him up for the pilot, which was only a pilot presentation, remember? Mm -hmm. Um, and he came in with all these drawings and he had this great vision. And I said, oh my God, this could look really cool. We might have $5 to make this thing, but (laughs) he looks like he can get this done. He's also a a very particular energy of a human. Yes. The energy that comes out of that human being, Russell. And um, he's kind I call him the Australian Ozzy Osbourne. (laughs) That's great. Have you ever heard about him? No, that's perfect. Yeah. (laughs) Most people couldn't understand a word he was saying. And you could. (laughs) Yeah. I was the Russell translator for you a long time. You truly were. And his brain is a beautiful thing to translate. Absolutely <laughs> worth translating. Russell is, and he's a teddy bear. One of um, the sweetest, nicest people I've ever met in my life. Truly. He has a and heart a, of gold. And a visionary who should have had a much bigger career. Huge. Yeah. Huge. Because he's the, one of the toughest, in true in true Aussie form. He's a special human being. I just remember having such a special feeling seeing you and Russell work together, especially. So I'm glad that you guys, you felt that right off the bat when he was pitching to you. Mm-hmm. The other moment I would say was, I think I felt something unique when I first saw, we were we were in the animal clinic, that first scene between mm-hmm. Tyler and Crystal, mm-hmm. where they had a real spark of chemistry together. And I was, I took a picture of them off the uh, the monitors and I was showing it to everyone and how like kind of romantic and cute, but still sort of sexy it looked. And I said, I think we've got something here. I think we might have something. And all the other parts just seemed to work out. Um, I remember there was a moment where uh, the studio wanted to pull the plug on shooting that night. And I, I actually gave up my producer fee because I wanted, I called my lawyer and everything. And I said, just give them my fee. And it wasn't, wasn't a big fee, by the way. But it allowed us to get a couple extra hours of shooting in. And um, it was the scene between uh, uh, Tyler and Colton where Jackson asks him, where are you getting your juice? And That's I such a fun night. was desperate to get that scene and I paid for it 
Um, they paid me back eventually. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> um, but uh, I just knew that the show needed that sense of humor mm. too. You know, I wanted to make people laugh as well as scare them. And the laughter was a lot of, I think a lot of what makes the show memorable. What I want to discuss is from that, that script to, to these moments on set, there's casting. <laughs> there yes. was that. Yeah. And how did you approach casting? We saw everyone under the age of 28, I think. And we saw multiple people several times. There was one kid who almost was the Teen Wolf who I won't mention his name, but I think he was probably pretty wrong for the show. Hmm. Tyler had this quality about him where he was charming and innocent, um, but he can play. He could play uh, aggressive as well. Mm -hmm. Hecklin had this uh, brooding sexiness to him and this darkness. Uh, Crystal was the first one we auditioned for that role. Wow. Yeah. And I kept saying, every time someone new came in, I kept saying, not as good as Crystal. Not as mm. good as Crystal. And I don't think I saw your audition. You didn't see my audition. Yeah. And I and I did go, I think it was, they were thinking about bringing me to network and they mm -hmm. didn't. And then Crystal was the only one that tested with one girl from Canada, I remember. Yeah. The cast just felt right. We got everyone we wanted. And um, uh, when you came in on i mean we we flew you right in it was so last minute so last minute i just Colton remember and I. yeah i just remember you doing your first piece and us and all of us going oh thank god she's perfect oh <laughs> snarky 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 cuz yeah there's all these opinions of what that character type should be it's more of an attitude than like a look she has to be a bombshell who who walked on the runway seven Milan. feet tall yeah. and, 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 and came that off was, the runway and that was the breakdown yeah. it was like off the runways of milan oh and i remember God. that like is that what it said yeah <laughs> and it stuck in my brain and did you like the fact she was the genius from the from the get-go you want to know where the inspiration for that mm -hmm. idea came from because uh we had talked about it before but i think uh have you ever seen superman three no there is the blonde bombshell in Superman 3 who is actually much smarter than she appears. Okay. And I always liked that character. Okay. <laughs> I had no idea I was pulling from this character you liked. Yeah. Okay. But I think we were in sync really early on on the character. I remember when after the table read, they liked the cast so much and they liked us so much that they said they would actually allow us to do like two or three more days of shooting. So we had a little more than a pilot presentation. And then when did you know it was going to be a hit? I don't think I ever really knew it was going to be a hit. I remember the ratings coming out in the first season and thinking, oh, God, we're in trouble. But then uh, it became very clear that uh, people were actually watching the show. Okay. Um, and then I heard I got a glimpse into what the streaming numbers were. Uh, it was one of the only times they ever shared it with me. And I said to them, that sounds like a lot of people. And they said, yes, it really is. <laughs> okay. So I think I knew we had caught attention in season three when we debuted with um, our best numbers ever. Mm. Um, and for if you're debuting with your best numbers ever in season three, you've got traction now. So people are watching. Jeff, I'm going to give you a few rapid fire questions. Go for it. And we would love to have you on for a second episode, but I think it's a really great foundation to know this is a Teen Wolf podcast. Who created Teen Wolf? And we love to love pick that. your brain. Um, so thank you for coming. Are you ready for these fire questions? Yes, let's go for it. Okay. Fun questions. What's your biggest guilty pleasure? For TV? No, in general. Oh, in general? Oh my God. Candy. Candy. Yeah, that's totally true. <laughs> I should be it. Have you ever peed sitting down? Yes. Why? Because it was easier. Yes. Okay. Uh, favorite song to dance to? Staying Alive. By the Bee Gees. Okay. Would you rather lick a homeless man's foot or would you rather spend at least two years living with your most toxic ex? Oh, I would lick that foot. I would lick that I'd foot. Put the whole too. foot in my mouth if necessary. <laughs> uh, and then what is your most recent embarrassing moment? Oh, I can't think of something. Um, okay, I do know, actually. Yes. I was in the Soho house and they had the water features uncovered and I stepped right into it and I had to walk out of the Soho house with <laughs> a leg utterly drenched in water. <laughs> That's amazing. Well, Jeff, we love you. Thank you for coming. It's amazing to see you. We I love would you, be, Jeff. I would love to come back. Okay. We'll see you later, guys. Thanks for listening, y'all. Follow us on Instagram at Podcast, and make sure to write us a review and leave us five stars. We'll see you next time. Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury. The premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Live March 20th from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring a performance by John Batiste. The all-new 2025 Infiniti QX80 is an SUV designed to help every passenger feel just right. Be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. Don't miss it. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Residents at Brightview Senior Living Communities enjoy enhanced possibilities, independence, and choice. Brightview Dulles Corner in Herndon and Brightview Great Falls offer vibrant senior independent living, assisted living, and memory care services through various daily programs and cultural events. Chef-prepared meals, safety and security, transportation, resort-style amenities, and high-quality care. Everything you need is here. Discover more at brightviewseniorliving.com. Equal housing opportunity. Ready to celebrate International Women's Day? M&M's and iHeart present Women Take the Mic, sharing empowering stories of women supporting and celebrating each other. And of course, there is a smooth and creamy companion for your listening pleasure, peanut butter M&M's, because they're just another way to help treat yourself in situations where you deserve a little added delight, like listening to your favorite podcast. So savor the deliciousness of peanut butter M&M's and spread some positivity. From breaking glass ceilings to dominating in sports and entertainment, women truly are unstoppable.